Today's episode is a little different. I decided that I needed a little break this week. It's just hard to keep up with my posting schedule, which includes a monthly episode on my Patreon as well, as I do work full-time and I create these episodes from start to finish myself, including research, editing, everything. I don't have anyone helping me in any capacity, and it's really challenging sometimes. It's also challenging to work on these topics sometimes, although I'm so proud of this podcast and I want to continue talking about these important topics surrounding femicide and violence against women. It takes a toll, especially during the winter months where I suffer with seasonal depression here in Canada. I don't talk about myself much on here and keep it very much about the case that I'm discussing. And I also take so much pride in getting these episodes out to you on time, but it can be stressful. Some weeks just feel more difficult than others. And I feel it's important to remind myself that I am human and deal with stresses just like everyone else. And sometimes we have to be a little kind to ourselves. So with that said, this week is a rerun episode, and you may see some of these from time to time going forward, but with almost 50 free episodes available, I'm sure there may have been some that you haven't heard, especially back at the start. So I thought this would be a good alternative to just skipping an episode altogether and share some episodes that you maybe haven't heard. And by the way, there are four additional episodes available on my Patreon as well if you're interested in joining. So I'll leave a link in the show notes of this episode for that. My boyfriend and I recently watched the Welcome to Chippendales series on Disney Plus and I was surprised to learn that Dorothy and her husband, Paul Snyder, were both part of the business early on and that she initiated Chippendales using cuffs and collars like the Playboy Bunnies did. Nothing I read at the time, which was two years ago in February of 2020, my very first episode ever for Femicide, nothing mentioned Chippendales at all. All I read was that Paul was a nightclub promoter, which to me meant a guy standing out on the corner handing out flyers for some club, like I've seen in the past when I used to go out to the nightclubs. I just also wanted to make quick note that in the Disney Plus series, uh, Welcome to Chippendales, they do refer to her as being, you know, with Paul at the time of her murder and that her and Paul were like this team helping the creator of Chippendales and they were at the club every night. And in actuality, her and Paul were actually divorcing at the time of her murder. She'd already done the movie and had moved in with Peter Bogdanovich and had fallen in love and was was in the process of divorcing Paul at the time. So I don't know how accurate it is in her involvement in the Chippendales, but she is credited with coming up with the cuffs and collars. Now, obviously, there's creative liberties, and in series like that, you know, there's time constraints when you're telling a story, so they they obviously took some creative liberties. So I'm just not sure how accurate it is of her involvement, like if she really was there every night helping out, 
or if, you know, it was just when she was in town because she had already started doing the movie and her career had started to grow, or if, you know, as her and Paul had separated, if she just stopped going there altogether. It's hard to know exactly. Like I said, I, I didn't have any information about her involvement in Chippendales when I first did that episode. So it's interesting and it's it's worth a watch to see the Disney Plus uh, series. It's a fascinating story. Um, so yeah, if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. But I just wanted to point out that little discrepancy and that question of how involved she really was in the full way that that series portrayed her. And while I keep the cases focused on the victims and the crime and really try not to discuss the murderers or abusers too much in detail, I especially took that to heart early on and I wish I had gone a bit more into the discussion about Peter Bogdanovich, Dorothy's lover. Because shortly after her death, Hugh Hefner accused Peter of seducing Dorothy's younger sister, Louise, who was just 13 years old at the time. He denied it outright and appeared outraged. But then, on her 20th birthday, the two married, which sparked a media frenzy, and many to believe he coerced the young girl. I've spoken about this in depth to a friend of mine who questioned if they just got close due to the trauma, but didn't become actually romantic until later. Trauma can most definitely bring people together. Shared experiences can make you feel connected to someone in a way you never would have before. But what my concern was, and what many view, is that he groomed her. That he lost Dorothy and went for the closest version of her, trying to mold her into what he wanted. Now, that is again what it appeared to be, and from what I know, Louise has never spoken about that experience, and they were married from 1988 to 2001, so a fair bit of time. At the time of their marriage, her mother Nellie stated, quote, I've cried before and I cry now because I've lost another daughter, end quote, and she claimed to know nothing of the wedding. It made me wonder if she knew of the relationship, but not the wedding, or if she knew nothing at all, which then asks how involved their mother was to miss the signs of two daughters being seduced by older men. Plus, her mother signed the consent forms for Dorothy to submit the photos underage in BC to Playboy in the first place that enabled Paul's agenda. So again, I don't know the details or the circumstances surrounding these events, but it does make me wonder. It's also not a slight against their mother or to shame her for signing the consent forms, if that's what Dorothy wanted. I'm only referring to the fact that it pushed Dorothy into Paul's control more. Even if it became romantic right before they married, 20 still feels very young to marry the 49-year-old ex-lover of your deceased sister. But, you know, maybe it would have happened anyways. Maybe their paths still would have crossed in the future, even if Dorothy hadn't been murdered. Like, you just don't know. And this is someone's real life and real trauma, so I don't want to upset them by making assumptions. 
But it's a complicated story and it leads to some discussions on grooming, which is important. From both Louise's side and from Dorothy's side, as she was 100% groomed by Paul, who was just nine years older than her at the time, but took an impressionable young 18-year-old and convinced her to pose for Playboy and then steered her throughout her short career, telling her who to sleep with to get jobs, what jobs to do, and controlling every aspect of her personal and professional life. He then murdered her because he had lost control and lost his meal ticket because he viewed her as his property, which was his last effort to exert control. Grooming comes in many forms and is often a slow process and it's important that we discuss it so that other young women and people in their lives can spot the signs and stop it before it starts. So with that, here is episode one, the story of Dorothy Stratton. And I apologize for the sound quality. I had some big issues in my early episodes getting the sound correct. So I do apologize, but let me know what you think. And as always, you can leave comments on my Instagram at femicide underscore podcast. And be sure to join me next time for another story. following podcast contains explicit content and is not suitable for all listeners. Women are six times more likely to be killed by an ex-spouse than a current legally married spouse. In fact, the period immediately after a separation is the most dangerous for abuse victims. Dorothy Ruth Hoogstratton was born on February 28, 1960 in Vancouver, British Columbia to Simon and Nellie Hoogstratton. Her parents had emigrated from the Netherlands prior and her father left when she was just three years old. Her brother John was born in 1961, followed by her sister in 1968. It was reported that her mother was working as a housekeeper while training to become a nurse when she became pregnant by her employer with Dorothy's sister Louise. I could find little on Dorothy's childhood other than her family was on social assistance and Dorothy had worked at a Dairy Queen throughout high school to help her family financially. It was at the Dairy Queen at the age of 18 that her life would change forever. Paul Snyder was born April 15, 1951, in Vancouver, British Columbia, to Jewish parents. Friends of Dorothy referred to him as a hustler, pimp, and small-time nightclub promoter. As he ordered his Strawberry Sunday Supreme, Paul saw something in Dorothy and immediately began grooming her for stardom. As a teen, Dorothy thought of herself as boring and plain, with big hands. But 
Standing at 5'9", the bosomy blue-eyed blonde was described as the next Marilyn Monroe and enamored everyone who laid eyes on her. But she was also naive and trusting to a fault. Paul convinced Dorothy to submit nude photographs to Playboy in the summer of 1978, which soon ran in the magazine. She was under the legal age of majority in B.C., which was 19 at the time, and had to persuade her mother to sign the release form. That August, Dorothy relocated to Los Angeles, changing her last name to Stratton, where she became a finalist in the 25th anniversary Great Playmate Hunt, but unfortunately lost out to Candy Loving. Paul joined her in L.A. in October 1978, and they were married the following year on June 1st, 1979. That same year, Dorothy was selected as Miss August and was featured in the Playboy magazine, becoming known as the Dairy Queen Playmate. She also began working as a bunny in the Playboy Club in Century City, L.A. Dorothy's stardom was unstoppable, and she was chosen as Playboy's Playmate of the Year for 1980 and was featured on the cover. As Dorothy's fame began to rise, it is reported that Paul became obsessive and jealous. According to Teresa Carpenter's Death of a Playmate, quote, he controlled her finances and real estate, and even determined who she'd need to sleep with to further her career, end quote. It was during this time that Dorothy also began acting. Her IMBD lists seven acting credits on both TV and film. Most notably, she was cast in They All Laughed, alongside Audrey Hepburn and Ben Gazzara, which was considered her big break. This is where she met director Peter Bogdanovich, and the two began having an affair. A People magazine article from 1989 quoted Peter as saying, I could hardly believe that she really existed, that she wasn't a dream. There was something miraculous about Dorothy Stratton. At the encouragement from her friends, including Hugh Hefner, Dorothy separated from her husband and moved into Peter's estate and began preparing to file for divorce from Paul Snyder. Paul could not let go of his estranged wife and hired a private detective to follow Dorothy. On August 8, 1980, Paul and Dorothy met to discuss their separation. Convinced he could talk her into a reconciliation, he was devastated when Dorothy admitted she was in love with Peter and wanted to finalize the divorce. This conversation spiraled Paul into a state of despair, with his fragile ego being especially hurt that his wife had moved on with a successful director. It was reported that about a week prior to their meeting, Paul had borrowed a handgun and waited outside Peter's home intending to shoot anyone who entered the property, but grew bored when no one appeared and eventually left. Following their meeting, Paul began an obsessive hunt for a gun, even trying to convince the private detective he had hired to purchase one for him, as he could not legally obtain one in the U.S. as he was a Canadian citizen. He eventually purchased a used 12-gauge pump-action shotgun from a private seller via classified ad on August 13, 1980, which coincidentally marked the two-year anniversary of Dorothy moving to Los Angeles. Around noon on Thursday, August 14th, Dorothy arrived at the home they once shared to meet Paul and further discuss their divorce. She had $1,100 in cash on her, believed to be a down payment for Paul after spending that morning with her lawyer. The actual events are somewhat unsure, 
but it is determined that her estranged husband tied up and then sexually assaulted Dorothy before shooting her above her left eye. Approximately an hour later, after leaving a note detailing his, quote, financial distress, Paul shot and killed himself in a murder-suicide. His roommates, who had been out during the time of the murder, had originally thought the couple had reconciled and wanted privacy, but were later tipped off by the private detective and found the gruesome scene just after 11 p.m. Playboy could not stop the publication of Dorothy's nude photos the next month, but did halt the publication of a special pictorial alongside Hugh Hefner and her appearance in the 1981 Christmas calendar. In the piece by Teresa Carpenter, Hefner stated, quote, There is still a great tendency for this thing to fall into the classic cliché of small-town girl comes to Playboy, comes to Hollywood, life in the fast lane, and then that was somehow related to her death, and it's not what really happened. A very sick guy saw his meal ticket and his connection to power, whatever, slipping away, and it was that that made him kill her, end quote. Her story has since been made into multiple movies, television features, docuseries, books, and articles with a cult-like following. The songs Californication by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, The Best Was Yet to Come by Brian Adams, and Cover Girl by the band Prism were all inspired by Dorothy. Following her death, her lover, Peter Bodagnovich, made a statement, quote, Dorothy Stratton was as gifted and intelligent an actress as she was beautiful, and she was very, very beautiful indeed, in every way imaginable, most particularly in her heart. She and I fell in love during our picture and had planned to be married as soon as her divorce was final. The loss to her mother and father, her sister and brother, to my children, to her friends and to me, is larger than we can calculate, end quote. There are some questionable and interesting developments following her murder, both with her lover Peter's controversial actions and book, and the mental state of Paul being debated. While those topics are interesting, I feel like it takes away from the story of Dorothy, and it begins to highlight those closest to her. I will leave some links below for you to further read about both Paul and Peter, However, one point I do want to bring up is the apparent coercion by Paul for an underage Dorothy to submit the nude photos to Playboy, and the claims by Peter that Dorothy did not want to be a centerfold, and that Hugh Hefner assaulted her. These claims were denied by Hefner, and after the threat of suing, the incident was changed to Hugh seducing Dorothy in Peter's book. Former playmates do admit to befriending and protecting a naive Dorothy, upon her arrival at the Playboy Mansion, particularly from predatory men who frequented the mansion's parties. Unfortunately, these stories tend to be believable due to other stories and incidences described by women who have been at the mansion and who have been propositioned by Hefner. And while Hefner may never have physically assaulted a woman, his power over who was chosen as a playmate makes the idea of a woman feeling like she has to sleep with him for her career very likely. So whether he meant to or not, and that can be up for debate, we know that workplace coercion is very much a real thing and most likely occurred all too often at the Playboy Mansion. 
there is also a stigmatism towards women who are associated with sex work, be it nude models, porn stars, or sex workers, and their likelihood of assault is much higher. Globally, sex workers have a 45-75% to 75 chance of experiencing sexual violence at some point in their careers, and a 32-55% to 55 chance of experiencing sexual violence in a given year. Thank you for listening to the story of Dorothy Stratton, whose promising life was cut short by a man whom she trusted and who ultimately could not take her rejection. It is a tragic story, and it is one that is unfortunately told too often in our society. I am your host, Sean Marie. Join me next time for a new story.